Yay, 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 yay. Another episode. Another day, another episode. From the Feeling Family Podcast. Woo, woo. We don't have much to say. Uh, we've recorded 100 episodes in a row, so no updates. We're pretty much just jumping into this one, right? Yes. Okay. So, today we have our dearest, beloved, Belinda. I just met her. <laughs> okay. Belinda's really cool. I know her from playing Sober Softball, which is a group of... Sobers. Playing softball. <laughs> exactly. No, it's a lot of recovery centers in Utah who play softball together in a league. And she's one of the girls that plays. And unfortunately, I have to play sometimes because Jordan makes me. And I don't want to give too many details. I don't know what I'm allowed to share and what I'm allowed to not. But she did tell me I'm allowed to say I met her there. And she's really cool. She has bright yellow hair, which is pretty fun. And it's always changing into different hair styles and colors. And I think it's really cool. But she comes on today and shares her journey of how she got into sober softball. Not really, but how she got sober. Yeah, and just her crazy life that she had starting at a super young age. Let's get into it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, a super young age. She goes through, she gets in alcohol. Drugs, pills, heroin, boyfriends, robbery, jail. jail. (laughs) (laughs) All right, we're going to let Belinda go. I'm so sorry for this introduction. You're way better than we could possibly say and have. So I'm sorry. Here she is. She's awesome. Let's go. Thank you so much for being here. We're really, really excited to hear your story, see what you got to say. Um, I think it's going to be really good, so thank you. Thank you so yeah. much. Um, do you want to just introduce yourself? Tell us a little bit about who you are. Yeah. Um, my name is Belinda Morse. Um, I am 30 years old. I live in Sugar House next to Salt Lake City, and um, I'm a recovering alcoholic. Awesome. (laughs) Yeah. Okay, well, that's all you want to say? Nothing else about you? What you Um, do? Not yet. Okay, you'll get into that? Perfect. Well then, how about you just start then? Is that okay? Yeah, totally. Just wherever you want to begin. Okay. Um, so I usually start my story with, like, my childhood. Um, I grew up in a home with both my parents, who are also recovering alcoholics. Uh, they have 30, I'm gonna get it wrong, 33 years of sobriety, I want to say. That's awesome. Um, That's so good. And so I've never seen them drink or drug a day in my life. Um, and I've been part of Alcoholics Anonymous as long as I can remember. Um, You know, so I had a normal childhood. I have a younger brother who grew up in the home with me. I have three older siblings who were out of the house before I was old enough to know any better. Um, You know, I remember from a very young age feeling very 
uncomfortable in my own skin. I would say about third grade was when I can look back and recognize Mm -hmm. that like, I did not identify with who I was. Um, I didn't like who I was. I was uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. And so I played a lot of organized sports growing up um, or maybe disorganized sports. (laughs) Um, True. We did the best that we could. I had a lot of fun growing up. My parents were very supportive. They put me in whatever sport I wanted to try. And um, I found a lot of connection and belonging in that way. Yeah. Um, But when at the end of the day, you go home and you're alone with yourself and your thoughts. And and I still felt very uncomfortable and, and always this sense of like, I don't belong. Um, And so I would say I was about 12 years old, 13. And um, my dad was diagnosed with hep C. And at the time they were using an experimental treatment. There was definitely not a cure for it at the time. Um, And he got really sick. And that was the first time in my life that I've ever seen someone so solid in my life get so, so sick, so Mm -hmm. unstable. Um, He wasn't able to, like, take care of the family, in a sense, the way that he usually does or did. Um, And so that brought on this sense of feeling out of control. Um, And I wanted to regain some sort of control. And I started Mm -hmm. self-harming. A guidance counselor at school found out and had a therapist come talk to me. And um, basically, she got me to stop self-harming. And um, this was my first interaction with a social worker and someone outside of my platonic family that cared. Okay. Someone to show me that they cared about me. Yeah. And that was big. uh, Were you, like, hesitant, like, with them helping you? Absolutely. Yeah. I was (laughs) terrified. Like, one, I didn't want to get in trouble, whatever that looked like. Two, I didn't want my parents to find out. Um, And I, again, like, I had gained some sense of control and, like, I didn't want to let that go. But I knew that the behavior I was engaging in was not safe. Okay. I know that everybody, well, there's a lot of different reasons for, like, self-harm and different kind of feelings you get out of it. What was, yours was basically self-control, not self-control, but gaining control, having something that's yours, right? Yeah, yeah. It was was mine. I got to choose what it looked like when it happened. Um, You know, all of the things were Mm. in my, felt like they were in my control. Gotcha. Yeah. And be, is it because you felt like you didn't have control over how you felt about yourself or because, like, you didn't have control over what was happening to your dad? I didn't have control over what was happening with my dad. Okay. Um, or what could happen, um, what that looked like, what that meant for my family, my future, my relationship with my father. Mm-hmm. Um, I had just never felt that way before. Yeah. It was scary. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. So what did... Or how did seeing a therapist or not, what did you say? She was a social worker. Social worker. Okay. How did that go for you? Um, It was, 
it was okay. I was like, again, I was open and receptive to the idea that somebody cared about me. Um, again, I was afraid of like being caught and getting in trouble Mm -hmm. and letting go of something I had found that made me feel safe. Mm. Um, but I did, I, I was willing enough to change the behavior. Mm. Um, unfortunately it didn't, there was not a lot of time between, the time that I stopped self-harming to the time that I started using substances. Um, So I went into my freshman year of high school and it was the first weekend of high school and my best friend's sister was having a birthday party for her friend and her parents bought us alcohol. And yeah, like I had, tried alcohol one time before that and like I thought it was absolutely disgusting I didn't (laughs) understand why people did it um and then at this party I for whatever reason like drank and I drank and I drank and I drank and um it was a pretty rough night I embarrassed myself pretty badly I um made a lot of a lot of choices that night that were like out of my character. Um, But something I like to identify that did happen for me that night was this sense of relief Mm. that I felt Um, similar to the self-harming. It was, it was a control. It was, it was a way to release and let go. And I found that in drinking that night Um, I didn't care what you thought about me. I didn't care what I thought about you. I didn't care what I was thinking you thought about me, Mm -hmm. right? All of those judgments got really quiet and even stopped. And so, um, for as bad as that night was, like I ended up, I, I blacked out, I, threw up in front of everyone at this party um, and ended up sleeping with someone and cheating on my boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And my friend's mom caught me sleeping with this guy who was older than me. And so, which she like really disapproved of. And so I made all of these like decisions that were against my values and morals and who I wanted to be. And at the same time was so relieved and wanted to chase that feeling yeah, that the alcohol yeah. gave mm-hmm. me. And I did. I did as much as I could, as often as I could for the next seven years. I um, My use progressed through high school. I um, tried cocaine, started smoking pot, tried mushrooms, ecstasy, acid, um, you name it. I tried it. Um, I was arrested once as a juvenile for possession and paraphernalia. I was at school and someone called the principal and, or the vice principal and told her I was selling drugs in school, which I think is laughable that I like anyone could think that I had the finesse to do something (laughs) like that. Like definitely not my MO. Um, at least not when I was like 14. Um, and then I was arrested again, uh, my junior year of high school 
And another reoccurring theme with my substance use is that I liked to um, try to rescue people, Oh, my partners. Um, I had, have, still sometimes have this idea. I have to, to correct myself sometimes. I, I get this idea that I can save you mm-hmm. and give you a life that you never had. Um, and I'm going to fix all of that for yeah. you and make that better. And so I was dating this guy and I was living with him and our drug dealer and just like a bunch of other not very healthy people. And um, the police showed up to kick us out of this house that none of us were on the lease to be at. Mm-hmm. And um I was like, well, if I take the charges, I won't go to jail because they're all over 18. And so I did. And um, I was probably 16 at the time. Yeah. So that was my second charge as a juvenile. Um, And I feel like I got into way more trouble the first time I was arrested. I was put on probation the first time I... um, had to go to individual counseling, family counseling, drug testing, drug classes once a week. It was like pretty heavy duty. What was that experience like? And like, what were you thinking? Like when you got arrested and like, I don't know what was just going on. Yeah. So there's definitely, um, this mentality that comes with using, Um, I think that at the time I probably thought I was pretty cool. Okay. Yeah. Like I was a Mm. badass Mm because I got arrested. Yeah. And, um, you know, when I was at the time was telling myself that I was doing it for the right reasons, you know, like I was protecting other people and like street code and and all this stuff that like just ego, it was so much ego. Like I really thought it made me cool and. So when you were like going through all this, experiencing everything, experimenting with it all, how did you, what was it like coming into that or like finding you the drugs, finding the alcohol? Was it accessible? Did you have to like search for it? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. So... Um, it all kind of worked out with like the friend group that Mm -hmm. I fell into. Um, I had another friend, so I mentioned my, my friend, the freshman year of high school, but then I had another friend and her sister whose dad would buy us booze. Okay. Um, and then he smoked pot and would like, let us smoke pot at their house. It would, it like, oddly, it was pretty easy to come across substances. Uh Yeah. Like. It, you know, I feel silly saying this now, but I had the impression growing up that like everybody smoked weed. Okay. Oh, like I legit okay. thought like everybody does yeah. this. Where did you grow up again? Yeah. So I'm from Maryland. Okay. That's yeah. what I thought. Yeah. Originally. Maryland. Um, but I've been in Utah for 10 years. Okay. Um, so like actually finding substances was not a, not a challenging thing. Um, And then you just keep meeting more people who, you know, like we have this similar interest now. 
um, some kind of common ground, another, another part of a sense of belonging, right? Like uh-huh. I found this new group of people that I felt comfortable with. Okay. Yeah. So what was your reason or was that your reason to like continue trying, I guess, like the harder stuff, the more, um, one watching the people around me do it to like, there was definitely peer pressure. Like I'd be lying if I said like my friends around me weren't like, Hey, you do this, do that. Okay. And I was like, okay. Like, why would I say no? Okay. These people love me and accept me and care about me, you know, like they would never want to hurt me or put me in harm's way. Yeah. Um, Yeah. No, I was just asking because, like, we grew up with our dad who has told his story so many times. And it's that's why I love talking to people and asking them questions because it's so different for everyone, where his was just like constantly trying to get rid of pain, constantly trying to like chase the high, get something bigger. It would eventually stop working. So he needed something harder and stronger. And so I was curious, like, was it that that you were searching for or was it because it's just around you? It's what you knew. That absolutely like became a part of it for sure. Um, And maybe I'm jumping to. No, no, no. no. Um, I mean, like if this feels good, why, why wouldn't that feel better? Right? Like if if smoking weed is nice, like maybe doing some coke with it would feel even better. Um, And I was willing to take that risk and try that um, and figure that out for myself. So it definitely played a a huge part in the progression of my use. Yeah. Okay, for sure. Um, So somehow I managed to graduate high school. Couldn't tell you how. not a very academic person. I don't study well. I don't earn great grades. Like those things do not come naturally for me. So somehow I managed to graduate high school and um, I got a job straight out of high school being an assistant manager at like this kid's play place. Um, And I was making just like way more money than somebody in my position should have had around. Mm -hmm. I was 17. I lived at home, no bills, no expenses, you know? Um, And then I moved in with my sister and went to community college. So she was like 40 minutes for my parents. Um, So still like home basically, like I wasn't uncomfortable or anything like that. Um, and I met a boy and, uh, I was gonna, I was gonna fix him and save him and give him the life he never had. And, uh, I, I definitely tried. Yeah. I tried for sure. Um, so I moved in with my sister who, you know, to each their own to decide if, if alcoholism is a problem that you deal with, uh, it's definitely a problem I deal with. And I definitely drank alcoholically when I lived with her and continued using substances when I lived in her house. And, um, you know, my grades progressively got worse each semester. I was in community college. I lasted three semesters and decided like not to go back, mm-hmm. not to waste my parents' money. Um, they were paying out of pocket for me to be there. 
and I moved back home with my parents. Um, and so this boy that I started seeing, um, we hung out for the first time and I remember, this is the first time I remember like consciously making the decision to try a pill. I had tried plenty of pills before that. Um, didn't really care what it was or where it was coming from Mm -hmm. or what it was going to do. But, um, this was one of those times where like I made it a point to pay attention to what I was doing because I was going to try to impress him, you know, like I Mm -hmm. I wanted to be cool. And, um, we started using pills together and, um, we did that for, for a few years. I, uh, moved in to his great grandmother's house and, um, I was still working. My cousin had gotten me a second job at a vitamin shop. Um, pretty much like the perfect setup. Um, and my boyfriend at the time wasn't working anymore. Um, in January of 2012, I was arrested. Um, my boyfriend at the time had asked me to borrow money for my work. The one that my cousin got me the job for. Um, And my cousin would let me borrow money and put it back the next day. And um, I was so tired. I was tired. I was tired of what we were doing, tired of the lifestyle, tired of the hustle. Um, I was just exhausted from all of it. And um, Do you feel like you you were still... Because you said that a big reason was because you wanted control, and so you, like, started doing things for your control. Do you feel like you had control at this? Like, or do you, like, do you, like, in your mind, did you still think you had control over what was going on? Oh, yeah. I was so, like, delusional that, that I believed that I had a choice, that I still, like, was just choosing to use. Okay. Um... I had had some thoughts along, like, through the past probably year or two that, like, this is not normal. Mm -hmm. Like, this is, like, not Not casual use behavior. Yeah. Right? Like, I wouldn't, shouldn't have to borrow money to get high if I don't have a problem. Okay. Were you, was this something that people knew about you and, like, especially your parents, if they were sober at the time, what did they think? Yeah. So my relationship with my, my parents and most of my family, um, had become pretty strained at this point. I didn't, I don't think I hit it very well when I was first using like as slick as I thought I was, I'm pretty sure they knew. Um, and then there there came a point where I really didn't care if they knew. Gotcha. Um, like, I was a mess. I was a mess. And if if you didn't notice, you weren't paying attention. Okay. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I get arrested in January of 2012 for filing a false police report and hindering a police investigation. And um, what happened was my boyfriend wanted me to borrow money from the vitamin store 
my, I, he shows up, takes the money from me, even though I said no. And I called my cousin and was like, he took money. I don't know what to do. And he was like, if you don't call the cops, I will. So I called the cops and I lied. I told them I didn't know who took the money from me. Uh, I told him I was robbed in the store and I didn't know what happened. And my cousin shows up at the store and tells the cops it was her boyfriend. Oh. So at this point, like, they think that I was in cahoots with uh-huh. him and, like, made this yeah. big plan and set set everyone up. And, like, again, people are giving me way more credit than I'm deserving. <laughs> like, I just did not have that, that finesse. And um, I was arrested. So like all of these really bad things happened that night. Um, like if only I had just gotten arrested, that would have been enough. Right. But I ended up getting the car that I was borrowing, which was my brother's. I ended up getting the car impounded for it being illegally parked out front of the vitamin store and the cops wouldn't let me repark the car. So it didn't get towed. So they towed the car with all of my personal belongings in it. Um, and at this point I'm physically dependent on pills. Mm-hmm. And so I go to the police station and I'm dope sick. Um, mm-hmm. I feel like shit. And my boyfriend just r- robbed me and got me arrested. And my cousin told the police who it was. They pulled him over like a mile from where I was and let him go. Oh. Um, and so like all of these really bad things are happening and still like my first thought is like, I cannot wait to get out of this situation so I can get high. Mm-hmm. And um, I even had the nerve to ask my father who picked me up from the police station to take me to his house on the way home my boyfriend's house on the way home because he had pills from the money he stole from me man how long were you there in jail not long okay it was like a book and release situation okay um i mean longer than i obviously wanted to yeah but maybe like 10 hours it was just like overnight that it happened so gotcha Mm -hmm. i got arrested at like 10 so I sat there all night long at the police station. But you're still like you haven't used in that yeah. time. Okay. Yeah, sick and yeah, I'm feeling like shit. Yeah. Um. So I wish that I could say that that was like that was enough. Um. But it was not. Um. In February of 2012, um, I stopped using pills and started using heroin. Um, I came home from work one day and my boyfriend was like, I couldn't find any pills, but I found heroin. Do you want to try that? And I said, yes. Was it just like, yeah, no question. Mm -hmm. Go for it. No hesitation. And there had been a time before that where I had an opportunity to try heroin. And I like, was like, no, that's disgusting. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing that. I'm not one of those people. And, um, that's all it took was like enough desperation from the right person. And I said, yes. Um, And I started using IV 
And um, I probably did that for like a week. And at this point, I'm like doing chores and errands for my parents to make money so I can buy dope every day. And um, I was painting for my dad and he had left and I was painting by myself and I didn't hear my mom walk into the house. And at this point I had taken my hoodie off and uh, my mom saw my arms while I was painting and I didn't oh. know she was there. And um, she just kind of like walked away from me. And I knew when I saw her face that like, I had just broken her heart. Mm -hmm. Like I don't have children, so I don't know what that's like to slowly watch your, your human that you made kill themselves. Um, but I knew that like, I, I had done that yeah. to her. And so I followed her and I went to her office and knowing some of my parents' experience getting sober, going in and out of detoxes and, and kicking dope and things like that. I asked my mom, I said, how did you know when you were ready to get sober? Like, when did you know it was your last time kicking dope? Because this like back and forth to treatment thing, it's just not like, that's not how I'm going to be able to get sober. Mm -hmm. And um, she looked at me and said, when I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I was pissed. I was pissed that she said that. Mm -hmm. um, I wanted there to be some kind of way in the universe that I could shoot dope and make my life better. Okay. And that yeah. just doesn't exist for me. Yeah. Um, and so I kept going. I, I kept running. I kept gunning. I kept, kept using, was still in this like super unhealthy, toxic relationship. And um, it was in May, May 15th of 2012. I had, um, we had just stolen or done something really dirty and shady and fucked over somebody else to get loaded that day and or to get well. And um, I had stolen my car from my parents and my brother shows up at my boyfriend's house and was like, I'm here to get your car. If you don't let me take it, your parents are going to report it stolen and tell the police where it is. And my thought process was like, if I go with him, maybe I can get some more money. Oh, yeah. yeah. And so I did. I went with him um, and I showed up at my parents' house. And I should have known when he said this, um, he says, I don't know why all these cars are here. And it didn't even click, didn't even register. Like we live in a city, in a town, like it's busy. There's people everywhere. I don't know what you're talking about. And I walk into my house and it's my mom and my dad, my younger brother, my older brother, my sister, her husband, my cousin, and my parents and a man that I had never met before. 
Um, so I don't know if you guys have seen the TV show Intervention. No, I haven't. But that's that's a great place to be for this story. Um, so I walked in and I sat down. Um, I wasn't mad. I wasn't angry. By this point, I was broken. I was so broken and beaten down and had had no fight left. Um, so I sat down in, in a chair and I listened to the ways that, that my use had affected all of my family members, most of my family members. And um, at the end, this man asked me if I would be willing to go to detox, that my parents had already set something up for me. And I just needed to say yes, and I did. I said yes, mm -hmm. and... Um, Why did you say yes? Because I think at that point, I already knew, like, it was like I had reached that point that I asked my mom about, like, how did you know mm -hmm. you were ready to get sober when you finally did? Like, I was there. Yeah. I um, had accepted the fact that I was going to die with a needle in my arm, and that was enough. Gotcha. That, like, if that's all that my life ever amounted to, that I was okay mm -hmm. with that. And that's a really scary place to be. I'm sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so you just said yes, so you wouldn't have to be in that feeling position anymore? I but... knew that there was a way out of it. I just didn't, I don't know. I had never really thought about like that could be for me, God. right? Okay. Um, and I just said yes. And I was terrified, right? Like, mm -hmm. I don't know what that means. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what yeah. I do from here. Um, but I'm willing to do whatever other people tell me to do so that I don't end up dying mm -hmm. that way. Um, and so my brother drove me to detox um, or to the hospital. There was no psych at the hospital that day. So we had to stay in a hotel. The hospital was three hours away from where my parents lived. Um, and did you guys go right away? Yeah. I took a shower, packed a bag, and left. Wow. Um, they were not, it was no, like, you get to say goodbye to your boyfriend. Like, nothing. No, yeah. like, get in the car and go. We're going. Yeah. Um, and so there was no psych at the hospital the night we got there. So we stayed in a hotel that night and... Um, just a mess. I'm like dope sick and disgusting and hating life at this point. And um, my brother takes me to the hospital in the morning and they check me in and I sit there all day and then they take me to detox and an ambulance to another hospital. And uh, I was in detox for six days. And a social worker came to me and said, you have a really good chance of staying sober if you go to more treatment, mm -hmm. um, if you don't, I don't feel really good about long-term sobriety for you. And, uh, so I did it. I said yes to more treatment. They found a bed for me in New Jersey, which is not too far from Maryland. Mm -hmm. And my thought process behind that was like, okay, well, if I go to treatment and it sucks, then 
I can go home. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm not yeah. far enough away that I can't still figure out how to get home. Yeah. Um, and then they came back to me the next day and said, your bed in Jersey has been taken, but we have a bed for you in Utah. Like, oh, and I, I was like, okay, I'm down. I'll go. What a guy I guess away. I'll go. <laughs> Where is Utah? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so I hopped on a plane and came out here and uh, went to a residential program for 29 days and um, did a lot of work on myself, on trauma that I had experienced. Um, I had made a choice to break up with my boyfriend that I was seeing um, at the time. And I said to him that if you're not ready to get sober, that's okay. But I am. And I can't be with you if you're not. Mm -hmm. And uh, he wasn't ready. And and that's okay. You know, I had enough self-worth at that point to like let it go. To Good. not try to save him anymore. Oh, yay. <laughs> um, How old are you at this point? I am 20. Okay. I'm 20 years old. And um, across the country, no family, no mm. friends, nobody I know. Yeah. And uh, they suggest at the end of my 29 days of residential that I go to another treatment center. And so I went to a transitional living program where I was at for 14 months. Um, I would say that's where I did like the bulk of my learning and growing up. Um, you know, I didn't know how to take care of myself. I didn't know the first thing about doing laundry and washing yeah. dishes and paying bills, getting a job and like supporting yourself. Um, and I learned all of those things at this program mm -hmm. and, uh, I will be forever grateful for them, for all the programs I've been through. Um, it, it did not come without hiccups or mistakes. For um, sure. I had, I had this idea that like, because I stopped using heroin, I would just be a better person and it actually doesn't work. Mm. <laughs> um, like you have to put in work to get results yeah. and, uh, that was new. Imagine so, that. Yeah. So like learning to, to do things differently and change and be a better person if I wanted to feel better about myself. Um, yeah, a lot of growing up, a lot of firsts in sobriety, uh, I had never ridden a roller coaster until I got sober. I, um, you know, had never lived on my own. Mm -hmm. uh, just tons of stuff. I um, decided at, so by this point, I already have a home group, I which is a meeting that I attend weekly of Alcoholics Anonymous. It's actually in a sister fellowship called Heroin Anonymous. Mm. Um I have so a sober community around me, people who are also serious about sobriety. I um, am, am of service at this meeting and in other areas of my life, wherever I can help people, I, I was doing that. And I believe that the service component like saved my butt for a really long time yeah. in early sobriety. Um, I didn't get a sponsor until I was 11 months sober and I was pretty like miserable 
in sobriety at this point. Um, like I was happy that my life was better without heroin, um, but I was still in a lot of pain all of the time and I couldn't figure out why. And uh, I was just missing this piece of recovery that had been suggested to me. And it, it took, took me longer than it takes some other people to get there. And thank God I didn't have to get loaded before that came. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I asked another woman to take me through the steps and she was willing. And, um, you know, I did two months of sober living after the transitional program and uh, have been kind of doing my own thing since then, like moving around and I've experienced living on my own and um, lots of different living situations, some more fun than others, uh-huh. roommates are hard <laughs> and uh, it, can, it can get weird. I... Uh, Let's see, I was like four years sober when I got my dog. His name is Drake, and he's Aww. my best friend. Um, absolutely adore him. I have been in and out of relationships. I would say that loosely, the word relationships. Um, <laughs> I have tried relationships and to not be the same person that I used to be, you know? Um, and like I said, it's a, it's a conscious effort that I have to make to remember that like my role is not to save anyone but myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't, can't want a life for someone that they don't want for themselves. Yeah. And now it's been 10 years, right? Yeah. And yeah. you just went, one treatment center and then obviously a lot of work afterwards yeah but that's incredible good job what have you i mean you said you had you got a dog relationships what else have you been doing in that time to well take up 10 years yeah (laughs) (laughs) um yeah so In early sobriety, I was still in treatment. I decided that I wanted to go to school for massage therapy, and my parents were unwilling to co-sign on a loan, which, like, totally get it. That's so fair. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I actually had the nerve to ask my mom when I was using if she would co-sign on a loan to put me through massage therapy school, and thank God she said no. It probably would have been the worst decision financially Mm -hmm. she had ever made um but uh I I took out student loans in my own name for the first time in my life still like I'm like 20 21 at this point and I put myself through massage therapy school um I was licensed or I am licensed and was working in the field for a little while and then I decided I wanted to go back to school for social work um, out of three semesters of community college that I had when I was using, I graduated or I didn't graduate. I completed 15 credits successfully, which is like one semester. Oh yeah. (laughs) And so I started school again with like one semester worth of credits under my belt. So I actually have been going to school for the last six years um, it'll be seven by the time I'm finished and I'm currently working on my master's of social work. 
That's so awesome. cool. Yeah. So cool. That is Thank awesome. You. I um, was really excited to give back to the community that gave to me. And so I worked in treatment for the first, like, so I was sober for two years before I started working in the field. I probably did that for five, five and a half years. I worked in different treatment centers. Um, the last two years, I worked at a juvenile boys treatment center. The mm. hardest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> and then uh, it's almost been a year, but I'm currently working at the men's resource center. It's the men's homeless shelter in Salt Lake. And I'm a housing case manager there, and I love it. Um, the best boundaries I've ever had with a job. Oh, good. Um, it's great. Like, I'm able to leave work at work and not obsess over it when I'm not there. Good. good. Yeah. I was going to ask what it was that helped keep you sober for all these years because so many people go back, and it's not a common thing to get 10 years after your first treatment so what is it that's helped you the most or okay. kept you going yeah no that's fair I'm like if I had to pinpoint one thing I don't really know of course but yeah. um I made a conscious decision the night that I checked into detox that I was done um, kind of like a deal with God, so to speak. Um, you know, they call them foxhole prayers. And I don't know if you know what that means. But like when you're in a pinch and you're like, please, God, I'll never do this again. Mm -hmm. I, if you just get me out of it this time. And I had done so much of that. Um, and I didn't mean it, right? Like I never fucking meant what I was saying yeah with with my heart and my soul until that night I checked into detox and I fully surrendered and and I don't know to what or had no conception of God before this point but I knew that like on my own I would get high that was what I wanted to do for the rest of my life and I was okay with that mm-hmm so it had to be something not human that was going to help me go the opposite direction, mm -hmm. right? To achieve the things that I wanted, really wanted for myself. And so I surrendered and, and begged God to help me get through this. And my relationship with with a God of my own understanding, I call it a higher power, mm -hmm. um, is, is wavering and it looks different all the time and it's forever changing. And sometimes I'm angry at my higher power and hurt mm -hmm. by my higher power. And then there are times where I am in love with my higher power and, and fully trust and have faith in, in whatever like the universe has for me. But, um, I would say that's probably been like the most important thing, awesome. right? Like wherever you go, there you are. And like, uh -huh. God can always come with me. I love that. That's awesome. Well, what, like, what is it like now when something happens in life and you don't feel like you have control? Oh, 
Um, that's a good question. <laughs> so it definitely depends, obviously, like yeah. on the severity of what's happening. Um, I'm in this interesting situation again. It's funny that you asked that. I hadn't thought about this until just now. That 10 years later, um, my dad is sick. Oh, um, he's much older, oh, but he yeah. is very sick right now, and I'm out of control. And I would be lying if I said that sometimes my first thought or my impulse is not to like, well, I know a fucking quick fix for this, mm-hmm. right? Like, I know an immediate way to make that shit go away. Mm-hmm. That, like, I would be lying if I said I don't have thoughts of using today because I absolutely do. But the difference is I don't have to act on them today. Yeah. I have tools and skills and, and people, resources, and and things around me. I get to come and speak on this podcast. Like, you wouldn't want me here if I was loaded, right? Like, <laughs> um, you know, feeling out of control today looks so different than it did. I, I, like I said, I have, I have a lot of faith and a lot of trust in a God of my misunderstanding. Like, I don't know what it is or why it is, but it does and it works. Yeah. I think it's just so cool to see it come like around in the way you felt like you didn't have control. So you tried to control substances in your life, but then you lost control of it. But now when you don't have control over things, you can control not going to substances when that's a hard thing, I'm sure for you, since you had such a problem that like, that is a much stronger control than you were ever able to have. Yeah. And, and I think that that being honest and open, you know, sharing that I have thoughts of using is very, like, very real. And there is a stigma behind that. And I would hate to paint the picture that, like, oh, I made a choice to get sober and everything was just rainbows and butterflies from there, right? Like, it's Mm -hmm. been hard. I've had some really painful moments in sobriety and and like I said, thoughts of using, um, but I make sure that I don't romance those. I don't ruminate on those. I don't want to sit in that place for too long. That's a dangerous and scary place to be stuck. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I have the skills and the tools today. Like I, there's probably a thousand people in my phone that I could call and, and like somebody would pick up and, and talk me off the ledge if I needed it, you know? That's so good. I think, well, you've been, you said that you've worked at so many places and you still are, you're going, you're getting into social work and has that helped you a lot to want to keep going, especially keeping yourself in the environment where there is safety, right? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, there's definitely like a sense of accountability, right? Like if I show up to work loaded, they're definitely going to know. Yeah. Um, But then, and I guess I say this in kind of a selfish way, but, like, definitely a reminder of, like, what I don't want to be doing, where I don't want to be. Like, I don't want to check back into treatment. Mm -hmm. If I, I, you know, if I relapsed, I don't know that I would even get that chance again. Um, So definitely, like, what I don't want to do. For sure. It has helped, yeah. I think it's a, like 
a good reminder, but I think like, it's, it's cool that you're not just looking at it and being like, okay, this is my reminder of where I don't want to be, but you're trying to help those people get to where you are. And I think that's like the beauty of it is that it's not just being like, oh, that's hard for you guys. I don't want to be there. It's more like, I'm going to help you because I was there and I don't want to be there anymore. So what is it that you want to do? now do you know i remember (laughs) i I asked you this a while ago and you said it changes or yeah i don't specifically know like where i'm headed after graduation i do know that i have this like secret passion for helping or learning about religion um i like learning about religion okay oddly enough I was like not raised in a religious home my parents Uh are not religious my dad might say he's Christian very loosely (laughs) in in the sense of the the word um my mom is spiritual my dad's spiritual and that's like those are my examples that I had in in the home I find it fascinating um and I'm really intrigued by things like cults Gotcha. Um, and what what gets people uh-huh. to drink the Kool Aid? So, um, I definitely want to work with people individually. I'm not sure what that looks like yet. I'm I know a few things that I'm not interested in doing, okay. so that helps <laughs> That's narrow it down a little bit. Yeah, so I'm not sure where I'm headed, but I'm open. That's I'm just. So cool, though, that you're putting yourself out there to help and to seek more answers and just, I don't know. Yeah, it's so cool. <laughs> no, you're doing Thank good. You. What else? Did you, did you have more? I didn't want to like. Okay. Well, you're doing awesome, I think. I think Thanks. your story is super cool. How you, I'm just blown away. I love when people have multiple years of sobriety. Like, I remember as a kid, or well, younger being like, yeah, my dad is three years sober. And then like, he's seven years sober and now he's 12. And I'm like, I just, it's crazy to, like you never imagined getting that far. And even as um, the child of somebody, it's like you have so much hope and love for them. I can't even imagine what it's like to feel that for yourself of like, just good job. I'm just so proud of you. So thank you for being you and doing that and thank you for sharing your story on here and for just pushing through every day because even though you have 10 years like it's still a fight every day and that's something that our dad talks about every day or talks about all the time is that you are still recovering and you're still fighting every day for your life and so i'm just so amazed and proud of you Thank you. Thanks. Thank you both for having me here. Kai, you looked like you were getting a little yeah. emotional and sentimental there. No, but thanks for like being vulnerable with me. I would say having been in recovery and still trying, having tried to rescue people in early sobriety, I would say it's harder for the person who loves the alcoholic than it is for the alcoholic. The pain that you experience is so big. Um, and it's not your fault. (laughs) It's not your fault and it's not your fault either. And uh, that's amazing that your dad, you know, could be who he is today. Oh, thank you. We like, I feel so bad every episode. I swear we bring him up, but he's also 
like what a beautiful founder example of, of the, sobriety. Yeah. <laughs> and he's the founder of the feeling company, really. So I'm like, it's okay. But he's and just he just does such a good job at I don't know, being open and so I'm like, fighting. I didn't want to like say my dad instead of talk no about way. you. All the time I'm like, my parents <laughs> are like 30 years sober. And, you know, it's like that's your example. Yeah. Fantastic. Use it. That's what you have to relate to all of this. Like this. That's all I got to purpose. No, and that's good to hear. Like, you've been both ends of it, and I don't know if I've ever like heard that before. So that's really cool. Yeah. I don't know. You're great. Thank you again. Yeah, yes, thank you. Thank Thanks you. for having me. This was fun. No, you're <laughs> so awesome.